Good morning, everyone. Uh, Jim Laird here. I should be joined by Dr. Stillman shortly, uh, but we'll get started anyways. Um, the topic of today's discussion is an article uh, that's in the description uh, about Ozempic. You've heard all the everything about semi-glutide and, and all these good things about it causing thyroid cancer, and then you hear about people um, having, you know, extreme muscle loss on you know, losing significant amounts of bone mass and muscle mass on semi-glutide. And so I've been diving into this uh, a lot lately. I've actually been uh, talking to a number of different doctors and physicians uh, that actually use these things in their practice along with lifestyle change. So I'm going to give you like a little bit of a different uh, perspective on this um, especially coming from my background of performance enhancing drug use. Okay. <clears throat> Most of the people that would get themselves in trouble with performance enhancing drugs or any kind of drug, like when I look at pharmaceuticals or, you know, fat burners or any of these things, I look at it as a tool, right? So most of the people that would get in trouble when they took steroids or anabolics would be the people that would rely on the drug itself to get them stronger. You know, they would ignore their sleep, they would ignore their nutrition. And a lot of times it's younger guys, they can get away with a lot. But if you look at like ephedra, when I was, you know, in the heyday, uh, you know, when I was in my early years of college, the Dan Duchesne, the OG of, you know, performance enhancing drugs, um, the mad scientist from bodybuilding or muscle media 2000 days, um, they have the caffeine ephedra aspirin stack, which is a great, great stimulant combination of 200 milligrams of aspirin, 25 milligrams of ephedra, or no, 200 milligrams of caffeine, 25 milligrams of ephedra, and one aspirin. Okay. People were using that like crazy, and they ended up banning ephedra because this kid who was dehydrated, um, playing out in like 105 degree heat, took a bunch of it and ended up having a heart attack. So they blamed it on the ephedra and they banned ephedra and you couldn't get it uh, anywhere anymore. All of a sudden it disappeared off all the, the markets, right? And the same thing would be uh, effective for, you know, any of the performance enhancing drugs, the guys that would usually have the big side effects or the guys that just took more and more and more, right? And the same, same thing is kind of happening with this semi-glutide stuff, Ozempic stuff, is it's people that are looking for a quick fix to a problem. They want to lose 10, 15 pounds, but they don't want to change their lifestyle. And so what happens is, is there's a few mistakes that people are making with it. Is one, they're not making the lifestyle change necessary to get the results, right? Two, they're taking it in too big of a dose. So what happens is, is they take this huge bolus once a week, because uh, people are so afraid of needles. And it shuts their appetite down. Like it's very difficult to eat on this stuff, right? So they they can't eat. And then, you know, they end up if they if they are training, um, you know, they don't get they don't recover from that. So even if you're trying to lose weight, you still have to eat enough protein, you know, one gram of protein per lean body mass, right? So if you're 
say if you're, you know, 300 pounds and you want to lose weight and you have a lean, your lean mass is 200, then you should be eating 200 grams of protein a day. You don't need to eat 300. You need to eat that, that 200, right? That's going to help you maintain muscle mass. So what's been happening is, is these people, they haven't changed their lifestyle. They're not lifting weights. They're not eating enough, you know, their, their diet, they already go into this, um, non-optimized their hormones are trashed they have a massive inflammation and then they look for this magic pill or magic shot to basically help them lose weight so they have the combination of low hormone level usually with inflammation and usually they've already got a shitty diet so they take this stuff that stops them from eating they probably weren't eating enough protein in the first place and so they take this big bolus. They don't eat for several days. Maybe they try and work out still. Their hormones get even worse because they're not getting the nutrients that they need because they're not eating. And if they're training, um, who knows what's going to happen. So they end up in time um, losing muscle mass and they lose fat too, but even they lose bone mass because they don't have the nutrients they need, right? So the smarter way to do it and using it as a, it's like metformin with diabetics, right? If you give metformin to diabetics, it improves their health outcomes. But the problem is, is the diabetic basically doesn't change their lifestyle. They don't live an insulin controlled life through getting outside through, you know, you know, controlling their insulin levels through diet, getting outside and, and, and moderate exercise. They continue to eat garbage. They continue to drink. They continue to do all the things. The metformin buys them some forgiveness but over time, they have to keep upping the dose of the metformin, upping the dose of the metformin, upping the dose of the metformin, instead of getting their lifestyle under control, where the metformin becomes almost an anti-aging drug. It's really a plant. Um, it becomes an anti-aging drug with a, a cleaner, insulin-controlled lifestyle, outdoor lifestyle, right? So people that are type 2 diabetic, they, they prolong their life because they're inflamed, they're not in good, good health, and the metformin buys some time. It would be even better if they change their lifestyle and they'd get a lot of positive benefits. So the people that I've seen using semi-glutide, you know, first of all, I'm not advocating that you take it. If it's an individual decision, um, but you want to be highly educated when you look at this stuff. And, and I don't jump to judgment because there's a there's a time and a place for tools. You know, um, the problem is, is when you rely on one tool too much. Right. And you start taking things uh, in large doses like my video the other day said, you know, anything at a certain dose becomes a poison. But there's been people getting really good results with this stuff. And the way they've been doing it is basically they spread the, the, the dosage out over a week instead of having this massive bolus, this big spike in the substance, which totally shuts appetite off. They spread the dosage out over a week, maybe three times a week. So it's more even, it's not as high. They do lifestyle change. Okay. They lift weights, they clean up the diet. The thing that these uh, physicians and they, well, they optimize hormones first before they, they do this, right? So that if you are eating, you know, you're going into calorie restriction, you want to make sure your hormones are, in a good place because if you go into calorie restriction and your hormones are already bottomed out they're going to get worse so what these doctors have been doing is they basically they normalize hormones first they do lifestyle change and the thing that they've noticed is that the semi-glutide or the ozempic then allows these people to learn better how they just have a much easier time 
uh, not being a human vacuum cleaner. And they say it does something to the mentally where it, it helps them change habits. And I don't know what the mechanisms are on that, but these doctors have seen these incredible results with this because a lot of the application of these, these peptides has been just people basically just taking it as a magic pill instead of making the lifestyle changes in conjunction with it. So you can take it in small, it's just like, like you have a bodybuilder, right? And they're, if you have a bodybuilder who, you know, their diet's sloppy, their lifestyle's sloppy, and then they take massive, you know, doses of stimulants to try and burn that body fat off instead of, you know, cleaning up the diet, adding in some walking, you know, having an intelligent training program. And then all of a sudden the fat burner becomes an accelerant and they're on, you know, hormones, which keeps their hormones up. So they don't bottom out that fat burner becomes a tool, right? That speeds up the process and you don't have to take it in a, a very high of a dose. And it's the same thing for this azempic semiglutide. These people are using it as like the home run hitter instead of using it as a tool to basically enhance and make habit change a lot easier. Um, you know, that's why, you know, morning, doctor. Good morning, everyone. Just getting in a little bit late from my no, church no small group. That's nice. Bright blue Were you shirt. just saying nice things about Ozempic, Jim? I was because I, I may have to excommunicate you from the church of Dr. Stillman. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or burn you at the stake upside down well, as you like to joke. Well, I, I just I just explained that, you know, from my, my past performance enhancing drug use, I look yeah. at all these things as a tool. I agree. And I'm and, being and, I'm being I'm being yes. silly, right? But and I, I mean, gave it's... the example I gave the example of metformin, the reason diabetics, the metformin buys them time. Sure. But sure. the problem is if they actually change their lifestyle and use the metformin they would be get incredible results. The problem is, is they don't change the lifestyle. They don't fix the inflammation. Uh, they don't fix the diet. And then they have to take more and more metformin to manage their problem. And then they get in more trouble. That's and it. I've been studying this a lot in a group of doctors that have been using this in their practice. And the things they see is one, they start with lifestyle habit change. No, I know. And hormone optimization. Yeah. And then they spread the bolus out throughout the week because yeah. most people, what's happening when they take it, they take a huge bolus. They don't eat for two or three days and they're already trashed. So hormones are in the bucket. So they end up losing fat and muscle and they end up getting in big trouble because they're using it as, uh, instead of using it as something to speed the process up, they're just using it as a magical fix, which there are really no magical fixes. I don't know what you're talking about, Jim. Magical fixes? There's no magical fixes? You sure about that? Uh, generally speaking, I get a lot no. of Facebook ads about about magical fixes, Jim. Well, do you think appeals, they're all lying to me? That <laughs> appeals to our that appeals to our human nature. For uh, it does, it does. But so when I looked at, because I mean, I, I know that the title of this is Ozempic and thyroid cancer. Yeah, I used that article about the right. link to thyroid cancer, which they didn't even take into account obesity in that study. That's interesting. Um, yeah. But I think my, you know, my point why I wanted to talk about this study on one of our morning lives is that one of the big problems that we have in medicine is the problem of safety monitoring and safety data. And 
you know, I hate to say this, but it's true. A lot of the time we don't know something's bad for us until the bodies are stacked so high and so deep that the epidemiologists can't pretend they're not there anymore. Right. You have to understand something. A lot of people have to die from an exposure for us to pick it up in the medical literature, the way that things are studied. I've thought about this a lot because, you know, my major in, in college was environmental health. And if you look at something like, like, let's say that you're in a developing country that's going, and I could use any number of examples for this, by the way, this is only one. And you want to know what impact 10 additional factories have on a small city where they're going to decrease the amount of light by X or Y or Z uh, amount per year. Okay. This is a very complex problem. And every single problem, whether it's a drug or, you know, cell phone radiation or air pollution or water pollution or a change in diet or a change in something as seemingly inconsequential as whether or not you fluoridate your salt. For the record, salt is fluoridated in Central America. That's why I don't use the table salt in Central America. But anyway, uh, you have to figure out, okay, how is it actually going to affect it? Like how would the air pollution drift over the cities and how many more cloudy days will we have and how will it change, you know, you know, things like dew points and, and thermodynamics and, you know, then how much sun gets to the city and then how will that affect population health? And if you were really going to study things like this, you'd actually have to take cities that are virtually identical in latitude, in longitude, in climate, in temperature, in demographics, in median net income, in race. I mean, this would be very hard to do, especially in a, in a, in a country as heterogeneous as the United States. And then the other problem is the time distance, the time difference, the time lapse, time delay. Right. So let's say that we want to know like how safe a product like Ozempic is. Well, we can do a safety study for six months in six months. We can do a safety study for 10 years in let's call it 11 years because you got to maybe, you know, analyze that data. But one of the problems that we 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 see in in medicine is that things you do have a cascade of consequences years and years and years from now. For example, if you're a lifeguard in your teenage years uh, and you get sunburned a lot that summer, that actually sets you up for more skin cancer later in life, even though the skin cancers aren't going to arise until your 40s or your 50s or your 60s, right? And that's why, you know, when Jim and I look at problems like this and when we're counseling, you know, people, patients, clients, one of the big things that we're always focused on is what are your goals and what are your priorities? Uh, because if you're looking at something like, if your goal is to just never have skin cancer, right? which is a very myopic goal. It only kills 12,000 people every year. That's very few. It's the most detectable cancer that we face compared to say the other big killers like lung and colon cancer and pancreatic cancer and other epithelial cancers, which are the vast majority of overwhelming majority of cancer deaths, all of which are linked to lack of sun exposure, all of which are linked to low vitamin D. So it's on. also one of the easiest to treat too, correct? Yes. Not only the most, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you, if you're going to get a cancer, skin cancer is arguably, the one that's going to be the easiest to detect and the easiest to treat definitively, right? Now, people now people are afraid of melanoma with good reason because it's a, frankly it's terrifying when it, it metastasizes. Um, but that's why I, I I I didn't used to recommend this, but I recommend that everyone at thirty five start to go to a dermatologist to get a skin check every year because you need to know. I mean, we've we've had you know professional 
uh, acquaintances, patients, uh, clients who've had, you know, things that have had to be cut out early in life, uh, which is really important because you don't want to sit on that. But anyway, I hope people understand this concept of safety. And it really, I think a lot of people want to tune out from this type of message because they're looking for someone who's just going to give them certainty. They're just going to give them uh, false assurance. Well, you just need to do this. Well, you just need to do that. Well, you just need to take this supplement or that lifestyle hack or don't eat this or don't eat that. It's never that simple. And you have to define your, your goals. And one of the things about, you know, drugs, as I was saying, is that often we only find that they create a liability within 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And the way that our drug monitoring is set up, it isn't set up in order to find small associations. It's set up to find large associations. And that may not seem like a big deal, but on a population level, we're dealing with amazing amounts of disease that are the direct side effects of drugs because of how many drugs are being used. Right. So it's one thing if you're just thinking about, OK, well, maybe we only get one extra case of some illness from using this new drug. You know, Ozempic, Ozempic is just an example. Right. Um, but, you know, there's not just one new drug. This is a whole class of drugs, these peptides. Then there's mm -hmm. other classes of drugs. There's new ones coming out all the time. I mean, the way that this is proliferating is just amazing. And this is another thing that we need to talk about and that you need to be aware of if you're in the health and wellness Info space is the peptide, the peptide world, and what we might even call the peptide revolution. Because one of the most interesting things about Ozempic is that it's a peptide rather than a conventional pharmaceutical drug. And you might not understand the distinction there, but to make it very simple, peptides are are proteins, and they usually have to be. I mean, I think they have to be injected. Frankly, very few of them would make it through your gastric juice intact. And it's hard to get them through the skin because of the skin barrier. But but the problem, the thing is, if you inject these peptides, then you can have massive therapeutic changes. Jim and I are going to be talking a lot more about peptides because of this. What we're both seeing in testing peptides ourselves, uh, talking to patients who are using peptides, some of them under our direction, some of them not. What we're hearing from experts in the peptide world. And... With peptides, what's interesting about them is they're bigger molecules and it's a whole new therapeutic class, but a lot of them are natural. So for example, one of my favorite peptides, GHK copper peptide, I'm convinced is having beneficial effects because people in this world are copper toxic, which means that they have too much copper and a lot of that copper is unbound and it's running around the body creating oxidative stress and frankly destroying vital systems within cells and within organs. And that's one reason why so many people feel better with therapeutics that chase copper out of the body. That would be things like vitamin C, particularly at high doses, things like zinc, virtually any other divalent cation like manganese, molybdenum. Um, uh, I already mentioned zinc. And the, um, the problem with this, right, or the, the reason why GHK copper peptide works aside from chasing up and, and binding copper is that it has a lot of beneficial effects at stimulating stem cells, uh, which I'm convinced are being exhausted by our chronically toxic, uh, stress-loaded world. Um, and then it triggers wound healing and tissue remodeling and injury uh, response and repair, which is, again, go, goes back into the whole, uh, into why they work with stem cells. That therapeutic uh, profile is wild. 
And what I mean by that is I've got a whole box and really boxes full of supplements in my kitchen. Very few of them have a therapeutic profile that impressive. And all of them have got lots of, um, I would say lots of contraindications, a lot of nutritional gurus, experts, whatever, are not really familiar with the contraindications to using different nutrients and supplements. It's one of the reasons why people typically come to us on a box of supplements and leave on five or six. And then we try and winnow that down as we go and they get better results with less supplements. Um, but the point and the reason I want to, I want to, you know, mention specifically this difference between peptides and pharmaceutical drugs is that you're going to be seeing uh, more of them, but be and because they're natural, by the way, we can't patent a lot of them, which is going to keep them affordable, and that's good. Um, but also because of that, there's not going to be a lot of study of them. And so in some respects, I'm wary of the whole peptide craze because we are not going to get long-term safety data, and we really don't know what's going to happen with a lot of these products. Well, you have the other, you know, I talked about ephedra before, mm. and you know, they banned ephedra because one kid who was chronically dehydrated, mm -hmm. um, who was playing a sport in extreme heat, keeled over. He took a bunch of ephedra. He keeled over. I remember hearing died. about this. Yes. And they discovered that the ephedra hadn't even broken down in his system yet. You know, so they banned an entire. A lot of times there's powers behind the scenes. And I think a lot of this pushback on these peptides is you know because because the uh this is Impa, that's a that's one that's actually fda approved right right well it's a synthetic right 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 and so right. you and this is really important for people to understand natural products cannot be patented if your body makes it you can't patent it if your body makes it but you add a proton or a, a carbon atom or a hydroxyl group or something that makes it special you can patent it yeah. And so, that's what my point. Yeah. I'll go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you go ahead. My point being is there's a lot of compound pharmacies and a lot of research labs that are pumping this stuff out in massive quantities. Yes. And it's cutting into the pharmaceutical industry's bottom line. It is. And so there's a lot of these peptides have, you know, been studied in the Soviet Union for a long time. They've been, they've been studied anecdotally by, you know, people for, you know, going on some of them 20 years now. And as they become more popular and as people see the effects they have, when you combine lifestyle change, when you combine, uh, you know, not eating like an asshole uh, and taking care of yourself, the results that you can get from using these things in a reasonable manner as a tool and not the foundation of the change is going to be a huge threat to the pharmaceutical industry. So I think a lot of this noise and saber rattling you see about it is to basically scare people. Um, I have no doubt of that. And, and, and basically protect their industry, right? So they're going to make it very difficult for people to get these things because they want people to have to go through that. How many, how much money do you have to, is it like $80 million or something to get something FDA approved? It's a heinous amount of money. And it's right. the only, you can only do it if you have a patented product. And right. this is such an important message for people to hear. You know, the patent system in this country was originated as a means to protect an inventor's profit from something they had put years and years of research and development into. But it's turned into this monster that's creating perverse incentives for industries. And this is why we're supposed to be free 
It's why we're supposed to be allowed to purchase products and use them as we wish and not have it um, governed by the nanny state. Because as soon as you've created the power to regulate these peptides at the level of a state or federal authority, I mean, this is why the alphabet soup agencies are just so destructive to the economy, to human health, to um, 